Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Marty Kinkle, the only person you're going to scare is yourself. Charlie, what are you doing? Keep the noise down. What are you doing here? Maze, just in time. There's a whole load of police here. Send the word you're gonna hurt yourself. Or someone else. (laughs) How many children are you friends with? Hello and welcome to Netflix, the podcast which keeps you up to date with the best things to binge on Netflix right now. This week, we're breaking down Martin Scorsese's new gangster epic, The Irishman, and telling you why it is, or maybe isn't, worth dedicating three and a half hours of your life to. This week, I'm joined by Faye Watson. Hi, Faye. Hey, yeah. And George Simpson. Hello. Welcome. And we'll be putting in the hard graft and analysing and reviewing The Irishman for you guys, as well as putting it in context when it comes to the gangster genre, Scorsese's career, and the history that its incredible cast shares together. So to start with, we've got, it's the new Netflix Martin Scorsese movie. In the 1950s, you've got truck driver Frank Sheeran, gets involved with crime family boss Russell Buffalino uh, and his Pennsylvania crime family. Um, He kind of works his way up, uh, gets also involved with Jimmy Hoffa, um, the Teamsters union leader, and it's the, the kind of trials and tribulations of his story set over I think it's six decades or so um and obviously a major theme of aging um spans the three and a half hours of the Irishman so in terms of the cast we've got Frank um Frank Sheeran played by Robert De Niro Al Pacino as union leader Jimmy Hoffa Joe Pesci as the brilliant Russ Buffalino um Stephen Graham Tony Pro big big cast of Scorsese favorites and obviously Stephen Stephen Graham was a bit of a newcomer to that what were our thoughts guys Mm, well it doesn't really get better than those big three does it Pacino Pesci and um De Niro in like your putting them all together was fab (laughs) yeah I didn't actually realize it was Al Pacino's first film of Martin Scorsese I kind of assumed that they'd worked together before they've been wanting to do it for years yeah Yeah. (laughs) Um, but no, I thought it was great. And actually, as you mentioned, Stephen Graham is pretty fantastic. It's like a steel really sealer. Truly kind yeah. of creepy, sinister, scary, smiling gangster guy. <laughs> yeah, I wish we'd had more of him, actually. I yeah. Think, yeah, yeah. I could have I could have watched him in all of the scenes, but he's used wisely and sparingly, yeah. I think, yeah. as well. Um, one of the big things that people are commenting on, George, is the lack of women in the movie and what women there are in the movie, the lack of dialogue that they have. We have Anna Paquin as uh, Frank Sheeran's daughter, the older version, as she ages and becomes a adult. Um, and she has, I mean, a grand total of about two or three lines, I think. What were your thoughts on that one? Well, it's, it's primarily a film about um, masculinity and brotherhood. Um, so, I mean, that's that's the focus of the film. I can understand that the women in it could have had uh, a few more lines than they did, and they've been quite 
defensive of Scorsese. Um, but I do think they do have quite the role throughout. Because in if you think about it, um, it it's all about um, Peggy, I think, going through the, the, her relationship with them. And ultimately, um, she's what Frank wants right at the end of the film. What did you yeah. guys think? I mean, I'm I'm with you. I think she has a real... Anna Paquin's Peggy has a real power in her silence, actually. Because she obviously she struggles with her dad's he's a hitman basically for the mob um and she she knows that increasingly is increasingly aware of that as she grows older um she she has a a really great relationship doesn't she with um what she, she he wants her to have a great relationship with him and i think when she's little that's there and as soon as she starts realizing what's going on it kind of falls apart and like george mentioned towards the end it cu- it comes full circle and this hitman all he wants in the end is really to have a relationship with his family and that's what he's struggling to build because of the kind of crimes he's committed and the life he's led. But she does have a power, even though she only speaks once or twice. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I think there's kind of been quite a lot of talk about how she's only got like seven words, I think. And yeah. <laughs> in the whole film. But you're right that she does have a lot of power in her silences. And I think maybe the conversation isn't about how many lines she has, how many words she has. It's just like whether that's used enough. She's kind of a bit of a moral compass for him in a way she kind mm. of they kind of come back to her and I think there's a really moving moment where she like sees that there's been a crime committed on the television and she knows it's him and they share a look and it's it's really powerful um but I kind of wish they'd either use that more or maybe made a kind of use of the other female characters as well especially the wives yeah I mean yeah. it is I'm with George it, I'm with George though on the fact that really it is a movie about masculinity um, we'll get on later to kind of comparing The Irishman to some of Scorsese's earlier movies, which were about the kind of youth and energy of young gangsters. Um, and this is really the the same thing from the opposite end of the pers- of perspective. And it's not about, for me, it's not about these men and their relationships with their wives or their girlfriends or both or whatever it is that they're having. It's about their relationships with each other. It is about brotherhood. It's about loyalty. It's about kind of the shared bond between the men and I do understand that (laughs) as a feminist I do understand that there's a problem that like we're delving into here we go let's tell men's story again you know like as if we hadn't told that story enough times and explored masculinity enough maybe we could have explored femininity but if you're going to make a movie about men and about older men who the romance is less it's not about the romance it's not about the sex and the love lives and stuff then I think it's okay not to focus on the romance and on the women it's not about the women so let's focus properly on their relationships with each other instead yeah no I do completely agree with you there I think as you said it's it's that's what the film is all about um and as also we've said that there are some really powerful moments like there's a moment where um Joe Pesci's character and his wife he comes home covered in blood and like there's not much dialogue shared between them but like she's just like I'll clean it up and it's really she's just like fine I'll deal with it she's fine I'll clean it up (laughs) And I don't know, I think like moments like that, they're kind of really beautiful. So I could have yeah. done more of them and I agree with you as a feminist. I'm like, do we have a responsibility to be like not making films that are necessarily completely focusing yeah. on men like this, especially when you're using something like Netflix, which is a kind of more modern way of accessing films. Maybe we have a responsibility of making different kind of stories. And a huge platform to give women stories yeah. a voice, yeah. that, which would have been a great opportunity to do that. But 
that's not what this film is exactly that's not what they set out to do let's let's allocate some other funds to do that and do that really well and hey you know what might be really nice to see a movie about women and femininity which doesn't focus on their relationships with men either a hundred percent who's to say if we do it with men not focusing on their relationships with women why can't we do it with women and not focus on their relationships with men that is maybe society's issue and not martin scorsese's issue yeah exactly (laughs) exactly and it doesn't have to be what this film is kind of pulled down for because this yeah. film's a brilliant film. I, I think I could say something else on the masculinity um, thing. I, I think it's worth pointing out that um, I think the film pokes some some holes in in issues there. So they they spend a lot of the film talking in this kind of masculine code and language uh, where they're not saying what they mean. So for example, they say it is what it is. People are very concerned. I've been, I've, uh, I went to school for five years. I'm going to, I'm going to work. And Hoffa's always saying, just say what you mean. Just say what you mean. And, you know, with his personal life, Frank says, I'm going to work. And so the women in his life are shut out until only later on in the film, when he wants to open the door to them, it's kind of too late. And then it is too late, yeah. Um, and Faye, I want um, to hand over to you to kind of introduce, because the, the Irishman has a very interesting narrative structure as a way a vehicle for delivering the plot yeah definitely I mean we kind of touched on it at the beginning a bit um about what the plot is and I'll try and describe it in as kind of least complicated way as possible because there are quite a lot of threads going on here um so for example so we start off with um in the 1950s as you said with truck driver Frank Sheeran who finds himself getting involved with Russell Buffalino and the Pennsylvania crime family um and then he climbs the ranks and that kind of evolves in him to becoming one of the top hitmans, and then he goes to work for Jimmy Hoffa as well. Um, and so we kind of follow that narrative thread, thread along like their whole lives. Um, and it's quite interesting, kind of the different timelines intersecting in that way, which is made possible by that de-aging process. Um, so we have one narrative thread of him at the old people's home, which is kind of where we start, and he's narrating, and it's also where we end. And then we have the other narrative thread of them driving to the wedding, which isn't really a wedding. Um, And then we have the kind of third thread kind of building up to that moment where they start that drive. And so I thought it was really interesting and actually not as confusing as you might think from listening to like those different intersecting things. What did you guys think? It's not as complicated as it sounds on paper, But what it does is kind of flash back and forward in a really nice way that shows you, you know where you're going to end up from the very beginning, which is a really poignant way to explore a kind of poignant theme like this, which is the kind of where, what has his life come to? What does it all mean in the end when he's really aged now? Um, You're you're right in the kind of flashing back and you work chronologically up to the moment where you first met him when he's in the old people's home at the end and he's quite clearly alone at that point in his life. So you're watching how it all unfolded and how his the family that he built got stripped back and back and back um what were your t- what was your take on the the interesting chronology of it all <laughs> i i thought it was quite an imaginative way of looking at it it wasn't t- i guess it, at first hand it seems quite complicated when you're watching it for the first time you're like okay what's going on oh now we're jumping back oh no we've jumped forward um but i i i appreciated it it gave that it gave um different perspectives of like okay where are they going really we're going along in the car but then oh and then it kind of dawns <laughs> on you what's going to happen after you've become emotionally invested in yeah in the characters and the especially the relationship between frank and uh hoffer and then it's like right 
you got to do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the, the definitely the emotional weight that this particular narrative structure affords it is huge. It really works because by the time, uh, for me anyway, I reached the the end, and although I knew it was kind of a sad movie, I knew it was fairly depressing that way along. <laughs> um, it's just it literally maybe the last twenty minutes, half an hour, just hit me like a train, like just out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting to be that kind of emotionally shredded by the end of it and I totally was and it just kind of crept up on me and I think it had been building for three hours <laughs> and I just kind of hadn't noticed you're like really really sold you're really in deep by that point aren't you especially yeah. with the moments like when he's on the phone to his wife and he can barely speak and he's like just try and stay strong Ooh, oh yeah just... yeah no definitely and I think kind of I mean there is a lot of talk about it. it's a long film it's three and a half hours long but what that really offers is like, as you said, the ability to build up that kind of slow narrative structure and that motion. And you really care for these characters, even if you don't agree what they're, with what they're doing, mm. you do really care for them by the end. And so that kind of emotional third act really does hit you hard. So it really does take its time, which mm. we've definitely established. Mm-hmm. Do we think it's, do we think it needed the three and a half hours or do we think it could have been Three or or have we got anyone in our midst who's like and this film should be two hours long, <laughs> and it could have been a mini series, really. Yeah, yeah, mini series of hour long episodes, kind of thing. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, Scorsese is used to making three hour long movies, and Casino were like exactly three hours long. Um, I mean, he he could go for the director's cut because he was doing it with Netflix, and having it that long works more on that format. I did go see it at the cinema, to be honest, and. I did think towards the end, I was like, whoa, this is very long. I am really enjoying it and it is quite slow, but not in a bad way. It's a slow burn. I'm enjoying hanging out with these characters, but I I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but then I don't think it's necessarily a a necessary thing. I think that's where I stand as well. I think I would have struggled watching in the cinema. Um, It is... it It totally makes the most of the whole three and a half hours. You don't ever feel kind of like it's filling time. But there, there was definitely, it could have been a story told shorter and probably been just as, had just as much of an impact. But what he does is really kind of relax into the slow build of the impact, which is, it's actually really interesting to see because although films are, you know, generally trending to get longer, the, you know, the later we go mm-hmm. um, in time, it, no one's really taking their time quite like this does in kind of commercial <laughs> yeah, movies. Definitely. This is a commercial movie, but really it's it's something quite different to what they're putting out in cinemas, uh, you know, other than like art house and independent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And also, I mean, it is fitting into that genre of long gangster films. Like you think mm. about The Godfather Part Two, that's three hours, 20 minutes, I think. And it, it really does that kind of epic establishing thing. And it does make the most of it, as you said, um, a really interesting about that miniseries thing. I've, <laughs> did you guys see on Twitter yeah. someone like carved it up and into, broken yeah. down yes. the right yeah. chunks yeah. to watch yeah. it? And yeah, I was trying to like it's as very I was doable. Going, yeah, I was trying to like work it out as we we're going through it to see like when those moments would yeah. be. And I think it does work in a sense, but when you get to like that third act or really halfway through the film, you want to kind of keep going with it. Yeah, totally. It really, mm. it really kind of it starts to 
pick up speed kind of emotionally and literally the pace picks up in the kind of second half doesn't it and suddenly you don't feel like you're watching an epically long movie anymore because you're like it's just snowballing yeah yeah definitely i I don't know what i'd have cut out to be honest like something like Mm. once upon a time in hollywood tarantino's film was Mm. almost three hours long and that was very self-indulgent and there could be some scenes tarantino's (laughs) self-indulgent really (laughs) definitely some scenes i would that could have gone but with this i felt like in the same way that if you're watching an epic long tv series you think oh i want it to go along and i think i think it kind of worked i feel like i got you know you get your your money's worth out of each scene Mm, Um, your subscriptions worth out of each scene (laughs) i don't think there are any scenes like thinking back on it that i'm like oh i could have lost that Mm. every scene has that kind of emotional weight behind it and feels very important and actually i'm finding myself more on the other side, I'm like, I would have liked to see more of that. So Yeah. Well, we've already yeah. said, you know, Tony Pro, as he's called, Stephen Graham is Tony Pro. I, I, yeah, <laughs> yes, in his wonderful little shorts that Jimmy Hoffa is not impressed with. No. Um, <laughs> so we all love Stephen Graham. We thought that was fantastic. What are our thoughts on, let, let's just do a little brief review of each of the actors, the characters. What were our thoughts of De Niro as Frank Sheeran? He's very much the straight, the straight man of this movie. It's very emotionless. Really? Yeah, yeah, he's definitely the kind of the core, you know, that we need to, as the audience, have him as our kind of guide through this mm. massively confusing story at times. Um, I thought he was great in it, really. I haven't yeah. really seen him this good in a f- quite a few years. I think something about that De Niro Scorsese partnership really brings it's out nice something to see special, doesn't that it? Kind yeah, of, that weight, that niche where he fits so yeah, well. Yeah, um, um, yeah. No, sorry, I was just going to say that. Also, I think he said when he kind of approached Scorsese about the the film and about doing it, he said that he kind of wanted to do in their time left together, because mm. obviously they're getting older, they wanted to do something like this, like they used to do to kind of have that. And I thought that was yeah. quite beautiful as well. And thoughts on Joe Pesci as Russ Buffalino. I have, I mean, I want to call him brilliant straight <laughs> off the bat. I get that <laughs> out there, but George, what did you think? He was, he was much more calm and muted compared to other Martin Scorsese characters <laughs> he's played in the past. He he can't. He actually wanted to play Tony Pro, um, which you can see if you consider the he characters he played Goodfellas, in yeah. Goodfellas yeah. and Casino. Um, but it was actually nice seeing him do something slightly different, especially a very powerful, ruthless mafia boss who's actually quite calm and seems quite introverted. I think that's a theme that runs through the whole thing, though, and we will get onto the comparisons to the. Like we mentioned the kind of the earlier gangster movies from Scorsese, but all of the characters in it, kind of Tony Pro's sort of slight manic edge aside, um, and Jimmy Hoffa, Al Pacino's kind of wildly explosive <laughs> Jimmy Hoffa, which is very Al Pacino and very brilliant. Yeah. They're all kind of this, they don't have this kind of cutthroat reactionary kind of vibe that the younger characters of some of his other films do. Mm. They are all more in control, everything happens beneath the surface, it's a much more subtle film than the kind of in-your-face obvious kind of do something and you get whacked for it kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was wondering about that actually because I was thinking like in comparison to something like The Godfather when you've got these really menacing characters and as an audience you're kind of quite scared by them whereas I'm not sure I necessarily felt that with maybe the exception as Joe Pesci's character but I'm not sure I really felt that kind of menace at points you're kind of just like looking at them and you're like you are just 
older men, you know. Do you know you who there is? Yeah. There is a real menace for me is watching Harvey Keitel, who... Oh, oh okay. yeah, okay, definitely. He's kind of, mm. he's this behind-the-scenes puppet master thing to Ross Buffalino by Joe Pesci. And Harvey Keitel, you know, sat at tables, he's very silent, he's very quiet, he's in these Italian restaurants, you know, he's just taking his time, taking it all in, and he's quite clearly puppeteering it all from behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. That's truly terrifying. Yeah. And he barely speaks. It's brilliant. Yeah. yeah you're right he's got that kind of like overlooking. yeah whenever he's in a scene you are looking at yeah. him and yeah no you're right he has it and yeah. like hey you know keep the money he yeah. won't need it <laughs> he won't <Ooh>. need it <laughs> i know um so yeah we, let's talk a bit about as we have kind of touched on the context of this within Scorsese's career um let's let's look back at what he's done with in various kind of combinations with these various actors over the years George yeah so um since like the 70s um he Smartin's been working with uh, Robert De Niro across all kinds of films like Taxi Driver uh King of Comedy um but then he uh Got Joe Pesci involved in Raging Bull, the black and white boxing movie, um, and then you know in the in the '90s, this is when you really see Scorsese come into his own as kind of the gangster um, film director with uh, Goodfellas and Casino, where De Niro and and Pesci really uh, take center stage as these uh, uh, based on real life mafia characters. Um, but then, uh, and then you got you had like in the early '90s, you had Gangs of New York, but that's when he took on. Uh, his partnership with DiCaprio, which is only matched by De Niro's. And it's only now, all these years later, that he's got back um, De Niro and Pesci for the first time. Pesci retired. Pesci was retired, yeah. yeah. He's, Didn't De, De Niro had to kind of call him up and they dragged him out of retirement. Yeah, yeah you can definitely... <laughs> Kicking and yeah. screaming. Yeah. If you look at interviews with them, you can definitely see that he's like, I'm done with this. But it's, yeah. it's so brilliant that he's done that. He's got the gang back together and it's it's the perfect bookend movie i actually watched goodfellas the day after i watched the irishman and there are it's it's such beautiful bookends to as we mentioned a story of masculinity a story of brotherhood a story of aging there's there's one moment i actually picked out that's kind of a direct um comparison where you've got which harks back to what i mentioned before about the the difference between especially de niro's character of his kind of explosive um impulsive characters in things like Goodfellas and then his beneath the surface kind of quiet contemplative thing in The Irishman and that is in in both The Irishman and in Goodfellas he goes into phone booths because obviously they're going to use public phone booths to make all their calls so that things can't be traced and whatever um in both of these movies he does that he goes in to take a call which he thinks is going to be sort of good news or okay news about somebody he cares about a lot in Goodfellas you've got He's calling up about Joe Pesci's character. He thinks he's been made and sort of welcomed into the family. And actually, you know, spoiler alert, it turns out he's been shot in the face instead. Um, <laughs> I don't think I can spoil a movie that's this old, hopefully. <laughs> I think you're fine. I think you're right. Um, and, and that his reaction to that phone call in Goodfellas is he, he cries. He, you know, physically cries. He smashes up the booth. He shouts and screams and it's very explosive and it's very intense and he makes a very similar phone call and gets very similar news in the irishman and says virtually nothing doesn't even kind of hardly portray an emotion on his face and he keeps it all inside to himself and this is to me the perfect point to note to see the development 
in Scorsese and in the kind of characters we're talking about. And this is, you know, in The Irishman by this point, he's he's a lot older. This is him on the trip to the wedding at the end, which is towards the end of the story. And you're, you're looking at how a man has aged so much and his reactions have changed. It's not about the kind of, like, the kicks and the excitement of the gang, gang life anymore. It's actually much more serious, and he's processing things and the emotions. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well put. Yeah. <laughs> I went off on one. Yeah, there. Dad there like, yeah. <laughs> um, but so you've got the kind of the history of, Deca- um, of De Niro working with Scorsese and with Al Pacino and these people. Um, George, you've also noticed kind of a, a comparison in the way religion plays into these stories. Yeah, I think it, it's a more common theme with um, Scorsese who... Uh, briefly considered uh, becoming a, a Roman Catholic priest in his youth, um, but then decided to be a gangster movie director. <laughs> Correct decision. <laughs> and uh, and you know now he's he's in his uh, I think he's in his mid seventies now. And uh, the lo- it's funny how if you think about the last few films he's made, he, he's made all these gangster films more recently, very lively, energetic ones. And then The Wolf of Wall Street, which was an- <laughs> another level. Um, <laughs> the gangsters of finance frantic yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but then after that what does he do he, he makes a very quiet subdued uh film called silence um about um spider-man and kylo ren going to <laughs> japan to find qui-gon jinn no it's about <laughs> about um ca- about catholic priests um going to find this uh their kind of, this kind of priest mentor in japan um i think it's in the 16th 17th century um and it's very reflective of life and and faith and and death and belief, um, which is a bit of a gear change, maybe because he's he's getting older and he's reflecting more reflective. And I felt that that um, transpired into into the Irishman as well, especially the end of the film. Um, after again a very quite slow paced reflective film, you then have uh, Frank towards the end of his life, and suddenly he's like buying his own coffin, and he's like, oh, I don't want to be cremated because. That's too final. I'm put here, and you know, you know, it's it's final, but it's it's not final, kind of thing. And and he suddenly discovered uh, religion, um, having kind of pushed away from it his whole life. If you notice in the baptism scene throughout the film, it's always someone else baptizing the child, and he's got a step at arm's length kind of approach. Um, maybe because he's a hitman, and he doesn't want to think about these things too much. But then suddenly, when he's lost everything, including his family. He's talking to the priest and doing his Hail Marys and and uh, and and confessing the whole confessing, the whole yeah. narrative the whole yeah. his whole narration through the whole movie is him confessing to the priest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Although he won't actually reveal what happened to to Jimmy Hoffa, but he does. You know, in that final shot of the film, he does leave the door open, uh, maybe to very uh, literally, yeah, very <laughs> yeah. literally to um, maybe to his daughter or to, to people to people to forgiveness. Mm. Um, which is a, a big contrast to um, think about the end of the, the Godfather um, with uh, uh, Al Pacino, where Michael shuts Kay out of his masculine world. But you know, that's yeah. Whereas Frank desperately leaves the door open. Yeah, and that's a very interesting point to, to kind of circle back to the the way that this is an exploration of masculinity. Um, actually in in his age you know you've got in things like goodfellas none of them are letting any no one's getting close no one's getting in um but that's because they're all still young and they're just kind of you know 
flipping through life, going about their business, enjoying things and reveling in the violence and all of this kind of excitement mm. and thrill. And suddenly you get to the Irishman or to, to Silence and Scorsese and his characters are all getting very contemplative and very reflective. And actually mm. suddenly they're letting people in. They're, they're thinking about their emotions. And that's a really interesting exploration of maybe how masculinity, how he's examining how masculinity is in young men versus in old men. Yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think it's just a perfect point to come back to with these actors he's worked with for such mm. a long time to kind of have those and those scenes at the end. They're just so beautiful, those kind of reflective ages. It makes scenes, it even more poignant yeah. to know the history that people share, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And also, like, it's got some really, really interesting moments. Like, you know, when the FBI agents come to him and say that a lawyer has died and, he, and then De Niro's character's like, oh, who, well, who got him? What happened? And they're like, cancer. And cancer it's just like... It's it's a really unique and different way to like kind of approaching these gangster movies, which are usually all about the kind of like we're invincible, high energy, mm-hmm. and now it's this kind of end of life. And did it will actually matter? Yeah, I, it's really. What did it all mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it doesn't lack like in the classic Scorsese violence and kind of not thrill but the the kind of the heady exploration of the the gang activity either it's just that it's done through a very different lens yeah Yeah. you still have those same scenes those same moments but they're just not written the same they're not filmed the same the music Mm. doesn't play up the kind of like excitement of it like he does when you've got Ray Liotta kind of like literally like smashing people to bits all over Goodfellas (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. it does still have that doesn't it at the beginning where him the origin that him in the 50s getting involved with them and the the voiceover telling the story Ooh. and then he's like there i was with frankie Fourfingers and yeah and, yeah and jimmy the hammer <laughs> and, all, and it's all quite funny and and he he rises up the ranks and gets trusted but then again like goodfellas at the end it's kind of like uh everyone's gone now now this is life was yeah. was was it worth it yeah and obviously we are talking about a movie that spans decades and decades with the same characters. We can't go through this podcast and not mention the de-aging. How did you find watching it, Faye? Um, I actually didn't notice it as much as I thought I was going to. It was one of the things going into it I was kind of a bit worried about because, I mean, I'm not going to name names, but we have seen some kind of slightly dodgy CGI work over the last few years. Um, Finding its feet a bit. Yeah, yeah. And I was, it was just kind of strange to think how they're going to bring this into this character-driven, slow piece. Um, but I thought it was great. I didn't really notice it that much. Um, the only thing, I guess, is that you are de-aging them and making them look younger, but they do have to also act younger as well. And I'm not sure that, necessarily that was always the case at at times I didn't really know how old they were because um I actually watched like this post uh Netflix interview kind of the Irishman in conversation and um Scorsese was talking about the first scene he worked with Al Pacino on and it's the one where they're watching the Kennedys win the election um and and Al Pacino's Hoffa has to kind of stand up um and (laughs) Scorsese was saying that he had to kind of pull him aside on it the first time they worked together and be like you're supposed to be 49 at this point and you're kind, bit of, springier. You're kind of standing up like a 70 year old at the moment <laughs> it's just uh, I so mean, yeah I think for me uh, that was that was the only thing that I found intrusive as well was the physicality from Ooh. the neck down when you've got De Niro kind of beating up a shopkeeper in the street like kicking yeah. and stuff like yeah. this it looks like an old man trying to beat up a young man at that point because yeah. his physicality just doesn't match up and actually that is kind of like 
I think if you ask Nero, which no one would dare do, but he, he <laughs> would know he's done that because Graham, he mentioned it, like Graham Norton brought up, he was like, you know, well, how did you change your acting to match the kind of CGI that was being done in your face? And you know, basically just said, well, I didn't. <laughs> so he, he knows he's not acted <laughs> yet. Yeah. He knows he's not altered the way he's moving his body. And yes, he did need to. Like, it's not whatever you think, De Niro, you did need to change your physicality. <laughs> you said that they were taught, like, when they went down the stairs to, to be a bit more springy like a young man would, rather than yeah. sort of shif- sh- shuffling. <laughs> Bless. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, it's a difficult thing. I am glad they did it this way, rather than doing it um, and having casting younger actors, because I oh, think yeah. you would have lost so much. Like, part of the way it works so well is you are following these amazing actors through this journey. And, I, and in that kind of Netflix thing as well, Scorsese said that he is glad of that because... Um, it means he didn't have to teach some younger guys how to do it. He knew how he knew these guys and it's, could do it. it you know? Surely, with the because it really is so unintrusive, in my opinion, the the de aging on the faces. Surely, it's a million times more intrusive when you cast somebody else to play a younger character. We've seen that countless times I, in I'm, years and years. I'm afraid cinema. I disagree with both Ooh. of you. <laughs> Controversial. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, j- just from your last point. We we've uh, De, Niro, uh, De Niro himself played um, Marlon, a young Marlon Brando in Godfather Part Two, which uh, the father of Al Pacino's character Michael. Um, I I think it's more of a kind of we, we can't let go of these actors. We have in 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 their 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 finite people. They are going to die Make one the day. Most of De Niro. And, <laughs> and when we picture famous actors, we think of them in their prime. We don't think of them when they're old. Like someone like John Cleese, the Monty Python actor, I always think of him in his prime when actually he's an old man now. And I think it's this hanging on to, we can't let them go. And I think that transpires as well into, uh, you know, we've now got this James Dean movie coming out where they're recreating him, which is quite controversial. Originally, they were going to get Elvis to do it or... Um, or the fact that you know, in the future, as this technology gets even better, they're gonna we're gonna have Robert De Niro starring in a film in twenty fifty or something like Ooh. that. That is to me. That's when that's where I draw the line. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Me and, too. And, for, and for me, I think you've got a, you've got a point in that we want to see De Niro as like the young, dashing, kind of exciting gangster guy again. We want to get as much as we can out of that. And, but I actually think this the technology is good enough that they made it good good use of it with this one i think you know five years ago if they'd have done it i'd have been like god just cast you know casting him as young marlon brando that makes really good sense because that that works really well some casting you see and it works really well but most of the time when i see young versions of actors um it just jars and it jars so much more than i found young de niro or young al pacino did in the irish i guess yeah. it's just like is it going to age well i mean uh Mini and I, Mini, you and i have been re- uh, re-watching these star wars films i think the prequel cgi is from 20 badly. years ago has not been particularly good and i just wonder if it's if it's going to age badly i do think i, I think it, it didn't look so good when they were really young in their 20s because yeah. face your face gets bigger as you get older and you know de niro had a very slim slender face when he was younger but i think it did work for like the middle age look. Yeah. The the the, yeah. OA, the OAP to to the yeah. to the middle age. I think that that worked fine, and I didn't notice it, and I didn't mind it. It's a fun thing to do. I just wonder where it's going to go, and I'm concerned for the ethical implications of it. I'm very yeah. concerned for that too. We've definitely got a problem with James Dean. That's going to be yeah. That's a whole other podcast. Exactly. <laughs> and I yeah, I agree. I think it's kind of it's it's balancing it and doing it responsibly with something like this film it works so well because it's all about 
these men as yeah. they get older mm. and it's all about age and having these men at that point in their life was actually really quite important to the story but i agree it's a Use it wisely. There's a line. There's definitely a line. <laughs> what do we think of the Oscars chances then? At the moment, we've got Scorsese is um, priced at one to one for best director, according to Odds Checker, as we speak at the moment. Um, and the Irishman's 15 to 8 front runner for best picture. Mm. Do we think it's going that way? I, I think so. I, I, it's, it's very common for um, the winner of best picture to win best director as well. <laughs> And and I think when you have a cast like this, it's the kind of it's not just Oscar bait; it's Academy bait, which is the Academy <laughs> is generally um, still very much of their demographic. It, that is changing a bit. They're all probably De Niro and Scorsese's like yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah, surely. Yeah. And so it's it's hard not to for them not to lean towards that. Even though a few months ago I would have thought maybe it'd be Tarantino's turn because he hasn't actually won for directing or picture yet. Um, but then there is the issue that it's a Netflix movie and the Academy's a bit snooty about Netflix and these movies not spending enough time in the cinema. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with that, especially when you've, the other big contenders this year are other Netflix movies like um, well, uh, Marriage Story um, and The Two Popes um, as well. So mm. I think it will just about do it, to be do honest. We th- do we think that? Because I'm inclined to say that while it being a Netflix movie is detrimental to its chances, the Oscars at the Academy is going to want to start like doing some tokenism acknowledgement of Netflix movies so that so that people can't <laughs> so people like us can't sit here and go, they hate Netflix movies. Yeah. And maybe Scott like maybe this is the best of both worlds for them to do that because they get to hold on to yeah. their kind of their thing of Scorsese and kind of classy gangster films and these kind of esteemed actors and many Oscars between them kind of thing. Mm. But they get to go, oh, look, we gave it to a Netflix movie. <laughs> yeah. They're kind of also being forced into, like, no other choices, really. Mm. Because, as you say, some of the best films this year have been Netflix films. Like, Marriage Story is, you know, pretty amazing film. Yeah. So, it, yeah, maybe this is the year. What do you guys think in terms of kind of acting noms? Um, well, we, we also checked the kind of odds on uh, Pesci and Pacino to get support. Mm. Kind of me and George both concurred that best actor is just too tough a category for yeah. to get a look in. Yeah, Joaquin Phoenix year. has got it in the bag, yeah. I think. It's, um, his, it's his, again, Adam Driver's going to get the nomination. Yeah, for definitely, story definitely. And I hope he gets it. Me too, <laughs> Millie, me too. <laughs> Team Adam Driver on this podcast, <laughs> as always. Um, but Pesci is 7-2 to two to get it. Patino's 11-4. to four. Pesci, mm. you know, would it would be deserving, very deserving but it's... He might not turn up, though. He'll be on the golf course. But it's going to be another tough crat- category. It is, it's yeah, it's I do, a big yeah, swing. Exactly. I do think yeah. the favourite in that category, just ahead of both those two, they're kind of like um, balancing it out, is uh, Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And again, mm. it's his turn. Brad's, <laughs> Brad's won a Best Picture uh, Oscar for, I think it was 12 Years a Slave for producing. Yeah. But he's never won for acting. And, you know, like Joaquin Phoenix, it's his turn. Maybe not for the right film, but, but they, yeah. they do like to... Not the right film, but while I didn't, you know, while I don't hugely rate Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you have to hand it to Tarantino that he brings the absolute best out of DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. Yeah, mm. definitely. definitely. That's I'm not sure I've seen Brad Pitt that good in yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah exactly. Definitely. I think if Brad Pitt's ever going to get it, this is the one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got just a couple of stats from Netflix just to wrap up um, who have revealed on Twitter 
um, that the Irishman was watched by 26 million accounts globally um, mm. within its first seven days on Netflix. And that is just massive. Um, they <laughs> Then they sort of shit, that was their big like wow tweet getting retweeted everywhere. And then it's almost like they shaded themselves by adding, we count a viewer as anyone who completes 70% of a film. <laughs> and I was like, is this you literally poking fun at your, the length of your own ridiculously long movie? Um, but that is as impressive as it gets surely for something yeah, like Netflix definitely. and people went to the cinema to see it as well it is straddling it was both packed those. out when I went to see it and, exactly. oh, really? and it was only on at independent cinemas yeah. as well but yeah. it's straddling both those kind of pools isn't it and mm. definitely mm. helps it in the Oscar rather than just being a Netflix yeah. movie well they, they did provide <laughs> the budget that um, another mainstream studio wasn't willing to do and Netflix were yeah. like yeah have all the money make it 12 hours long it's great <laughs> go for it all the actors <laughs> everything you want all the CGI <laughs> yeah um, so final thoughts can we give it a star rating out of five guys can Ooh. we can we distill it down to that is that too simplistic hard, isn't it? <laughs> I would I, I think I'd give it four I don't think it's quite five but that's mm. often the case with Oscar films I think it's it is a slow burner but I think it 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 earns that and warrants that and the performances are amazing um i yeah it's very very good i, I don't think it's quite exceptional though but it'll be interesting to see um if it's if it's remembered in five years time mm. interesting okay oh you know i was gonna agree with you and then i was thinking about it and i, was, I think i've got to go five you know Ooh. i think i've got to go five it's just <laughs> we have a five star it's just such a fantastic film and it's one that i'm definitely gonna myself at least revisit yeah lots of times that was gonna be my next yeah. question is it a rewatcher i mean i, I think, think i might so. it might be for me a rewatcher in like five years yeah yeah definitely thing. i'm not gonna rewatch it next week <laughs> i, I rewatched it two weeks later on netflix oh, okay. it, um <laughs> just for just to uh to refresh for to talk about it on my podcast <laughs> <laughs> and that so that really is that's seven hours of scorsese in yeah, two I, weeks I, I loved, a lot of I loved it, and I wasn't sitting there thinking, "Oh, I've got to watch a three and a half hour movie." I was thinking, "People are talking about this. This is, this is exciting. It's different." Mm. I've been wanting to see. I've heard about this film years ago, and we finally have it. So yeah, I, I think I will rewatch. It. Hey, maybe yeah. that's the four move to a five over time. Maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, I think I'd be. I think I'm with you on giving it a four, um, but I would rewatch. Not quite, yet. <laughs> not quite yet. I would also <laughs> highly recommend watching Goodfellas straight after because oh, not yeah. only is it oh, yeah. kind of lighter and a more exciting take on the similar things, but they bookend the the themes, but also Scorsese's kind of gangster film career really nicely as well. Like the kind of and it has a central gangster. female lead. And there's some <laughs> who women. Who does lots of talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for joining me, guys. Thank you. Um, if you, you liked what you heard, please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at NetflixedPod to stay involved with the conversation. There we'll also be teasing details of our next episode where we'll be talking about The Witcher. Go out and watch The Irishman and let us know what you think on Twitter. Thanks.